Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. In celebration of Pride Month, which we see you all the time, but we want to make you extra seen, our members of the LGBTQIA plus community, and this is the quote. Maybe we can stop trying so hard to understand the gorgeous mystery of sexuality. Instead, we can just listen to ourselves and each other with curiosity and love and without fear. We can just let people be who they are, and we can believe that the freer each person is, the better we all are. Also, an additional Glennon Doyle quote, you're a fucking cheetah. (laughs) I actually, I just finished her book. You said Glennon. I was like, that is not a name you hear often. I just finished her book on Tame. You're a fucking cheetah. Yeah, the whole beginning of that book is, it's comparing like, cheetahs in captivity and how they like sense that there's there's probably something more and maybe they shouldn't want anything outside of captivity because they're very well taken care of but they sense like I could be more like I could do more and you know it's this whole idea that we as women are fucking cheetahs like we as people are fucking cheetahs and we don't have to live in the captivity or confines of like the social structure social structure and the social script that's been laid out for us yeah my so I you would love untamed my friend got it for me for my birthday um and that was the birthday right after I broke up with my ex yeah and she spent the rest of our friendship apologizing for it because it's I wouldn't describe it as a self-help book. It's not like, this is what's wrong with you and here's how to fix it. And here are a bunch of low-calorie soups. It's, it's not like that at all. Um, it's like self-empowering. It is. It really is. And it's all about, you know, Glennon's story um, and her coming to terms with her sexuality and like her just totally rewriting her script. Um and so I, so I, I did finally read it and I, I finally got to tell my friend, I was like, okay, I love it. You can stop apologizing. Cause she's like, I thought that might be really bitchy to give you a book like this after all you went through. I was like, like, no, no, first of all, that is her love language. Yeah. And I, I respect that and honor it, but yeah, no untamed by Glenn Doyle. I got to add that to the herstory book club list. You would love it, Kelly. I'll have to, add, I'll have to read it. Yeah, but enough, but yeah, powerful quote by a queer author who was trying to do everything that was expected of her to her own detriment and then finally realized she's a fucking cheetah. Yeah. We are all fucking cheetahs. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. So, welcome to the Women's History Podcast, where longtime besties with breasties talk about women that you probably haven't heard of and definitely should have. And particularly this month, we tend to focus on members of the LGBTQIA plus community who identify as women. Yes. And I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. Welcome, welcome. to Whining About History. It's pride. Get your rainbows and glitters out. It's pride. Punch a Nazi in the face. It's pride. I mean, do that anytime. I mean, there is no wrong time of the year to fuck up some Nazis. Right. Emily, 
Talk about your wine. Oh my God. Okay. Talk about rainbows. <laughs> okay. I bought this wine almost a year ago. It is Barefoot Bubbly Sweet Rosé. It's a California champagne, champagne. And it was one of, are you ever shopping and you see something and, and before like, your mine. brain can register what it is, it's in your hand. That was this wine because it is rainbow. Like the, the label is rainbow and it says, be proud, love yourself, equality for all, um, toast together, love Something is love. Something about sexuality. Proud no, to be, I, I can't read it all. And then real, resilient, bold, beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. And here's the thing. I get that it's become very commercially advantageous for businesses and brands to get on the pride train. Like I was in Target the other day and it was, there was the whole pride section and I was just kind of like, are you really an ally if you're just getting onto it when it's like financially good for you? That being said, it's a great sign to see these big brands repping because it makes it more normal and it makes it more accessible. So there are different schools of thought, but I saw this wine and Kelly can't even really drink it because it's it's carbonated. I'm gonna try it. But I, I saw it, it a bit. I saw it and I was like, gay wine. And I it just I bought it and I was leaving Target and I was like, what happened? Um the back of this reads, you are worth it. Strong, unique, beautiful, loved, and celebrated. Here at Barefoot, we proudly celebrate support and celebrate the LGBTQ plus community and have been doing so for over 30 years. We believe that equality is a basic human right and we continue to fight for equality for all. Super sad that anyone has to say this and that it's a hot take. Barefoot Bubbly Sweet Rosé is bright and vibrant, complemented by layers of delicate red fruit. Mm, love that red fruit. Enjoy with friends, family, and loved ones while you toast to life, love, and happiness. Cheers to you. And then to learn more about how your purchase goes to support the March for Equality, go to barefootwine.com forward slash LGBTQ. Women should not drink while pregnant. While pregnant. <laughs> Drop new line while pregnant. Yep. Well, I think we can both cheers to pride. Another, another beautiful opportunity to, because obviously we cover LGBTQ plus women all year yeah, round. Doesn't matter. But okay, so we actually just had our pride celebration in so Rochester. It was a ton of fun. It was such a cool experience. Um, but when I saw the posts about it, like on social media, like from our local newspaper, there was so much fucking hate and like equating queer people to predators. And I was like, surprised. Like I didn't see any protesting or anything at the actual event. I was very happy for that. I was yes, very thankful surprised, for that. surprised, but happy. But That's seeing so those gross. comments, it just kind of reminded me. It's like, they're like, well, why does there have to be pride? Because of these comments, literally because of this, because it's never been illegal for you to be straight. Yeah. Addendum, as long as you're in a same race. Race marriage. Marriage, yeah. But you know what I mean? It's so, like, there is such a long history. It, we, ju we just got yeah. the right to marry same-sex people. 
that's why we need pride because that just happened because trans kids are being murdered and no one cares. That's why we need pride because there are still kids and full grown adults who think that they're alone and there aren't words for how they feel or the way they feel are wrong. That's why we need pride because you're leaving shitty comments on Facebook. That's why we need pride. So if you don't like right. pride, shut it. You shut it, shut it, zip it, put it in your pocket and let it out with the wash. Cheers to pride. Cheers to pride. Stay proud, bitches. Always. Powerful clink. It's so sweet and bubbly. Kelly. It tastes so good, but it's so bubbly. Yeah. Just let your glass sit out for a couple hours. Let the carbonation go. You know how there are those. so good, though. You know how there are those wine aerators? They need like a. A wine de-aerator. Yeah, they need like a. I almost said combustion, debustion, carbonation, decarbonation, decarbonation nation. I don't Decarbonator. know. Decarbonator. Decarbonator. That'd be cool. Well, um, so if you've been a longtime listener, you know that every June we celebrate queer women and highlight their stories. This is not something we just do in June, but it's something that we focus on in June because it's our podcast and we do whatever the fuck we want. Die mad about it. Anyway, I don't know why I'm being so aggressive. Our listeners are so nice. Um, so I'm, oh wait, before we get started, if you want to support the podcast and the monthly Patreon donation is like too much, mm-hmm. you can also sponsor a bottle of wine at buymeacoffee.com forward slash W-A-H pod. We had the lovely Madison Ham. Yeah. Wham, bam, thank you, Ham. Uh, who sponsored our bottle last week. Uh, we will give you a shout out. We will try to pick a bottle that is somehow related to you, even if it is in the loosest of terms. Um, but yeah, you can you can sponsor one, three, five, or however many bottles you so choose. We're still looking for the sugar daddies, mommies, and non-binary peoples, peeps, non-binary friends. Yep. To buy us wine. To buy us wine. Always. We are very inclusive in who gives us wine, unless they're creeps at the bar, in which case. Or, you know, like Nazis. Yeah, no, no. Ugh. Yeah. God. I don't need Nazi wine. I'm so upset because my story has Nazis. So please. Does not. Please buy us a bottle of wine. Sponsor a glass. It's the closest we can get to drinking right now. And help me emotionally cope with my story. That unfortunately has Nazis, Nazis because they were and still are a thing, which is horrifying. Yeah. All right, let's do this. So today I am whining about Felice and Lily, a Berlin love story. So Charlotte Elizabeth Wurst, better known as Lily, was living the life of a good, good German woman living in Berlin Schmargendorf. Lily was raising her four children and holding down the fort while her husband, Gunther Wurst. His first name is Gunther Wurst? No, it's, that's his whole name. Oh. Gunther Wurst. Okay. Because her last name is Wurst. It's W-S- I was very confused. I was like, his name is Gunther Wurst Wurst? No, it's his, um, yeah. yeah, it's W-U-S-T, but I assume it's got Gunther. like the German like, yeah, probably. je joue. Onto it. So, so we've got Gunter Wurst, 
Um, and he was fighting to defend the Vaterland in World War II. Much of Lily's life had been in the shadow of war, born in 1913 during World War I. She came of age during a time when Germany was experiencing economic hardship. And when she was 20, Hitler was elected as Chancellor of Germany, a.k.a. Grand Piece of Shit. Yeah, basically. Despite the chaos surrounding her, Lily had a very average life. She didn't bother much with politics. She met and married a young banking accounter, accounter, accountant, Gunther Wurst. Now I really want bratwurst. I like you're a weird. Here's the thing: you're just hungry. I think I, I think I am hungry. I'm still chasing that French bread pizza high from last week, and I had some like cheesy garlic bread Lay's chips. Didn't help. Did Did not satisfy me. There's a there's a 24 hour taco place that's going to be opening up within walking distance, and Kelly and I are very excited to after recording walking down there and being drunk taco bitches together. Someday, anyway, Gunther Wurst, uh, who was a Nazi sympathizer and member of the Wehrmacht, which is like the it, it was like the Nazi army. It was the Nazi army. The Wehrmacht, the worst mocked. Uh, and he and they began having children. By all accounts, she was the perfect German housewife. The perfect German housefrau, as you might. <laughs> I have to work in as much funny bullshit as I can because to it's counteract the Nazis. Because it's all gonna go it's all gonna get really hard. So this is a good time to dig into Lily. And her ideologies. There is a lot of murkiness around how strongly or not Lily abided by Nazi ideals. In some places, she's quoted as saying she could, quote, smell Jews. Who's in that? Allegedly Lily. Mm. Not great. No. No. Um, But she's also described as being incredibly apathetic. And I got the impression that she was just kind of going along with what everyone else was doing, which is just as dangerous. It is. Um, she was being a bystander. Yeah. And and also, she's not defying it. She's marrying a Nazi yeah. and having children with him. And I think, I'm going to get on my soapbox a little bit here. I think this is a really interesting position to explore. You know, she's not being victimized by the Nazi regime. In fact, with her husband's employment, uh, she's benefiting financially and socially. And I find it hard to believe that she had no anti-Semitic leanings at all. Because when you grow up in an anti-Semitic society, how can you be uninfluenced by it? How can you just like remain pure of those sentiments? And this is so important for all of us to think about and understand because it is so true of most of us in the United States today and in most places today. We have grown up in a society built on systemic racism. Our laws, education, media, and more are all influenced by systemic racism. And so how can we grow up within a society like this without being influenced by it? We all have biases. And I don't care how anti-racist or woke or how big of a social justice warrior you are. We all have these. And I've done I've done a bunch of these trainings for work on like DEI and all that. And something that they constantly like hammer home is you don't reach woke nirvana 
Right. For lack of a better term. There's not a point where you're like, oh my God, I understand everything and I'm never going to be problematic or racist or I'm never going to have a bad thought or it is a constant lifelong learning process and you know you're doing it right if you don't feel like yeah. you've learned everything. Um, it is also important to acknowledge that acknowledge the apathy that Lily was likely subject to uh, when policies and structures don't directly affect us. It's very easy for us to dismiss the concerns of those who do suffer to right. justify the suffering. Well, they shouldn't have done that or mm, I wouldn't have never done that and to accept it. I don't care. Oh, I put that in there. Um, this is something we are all guilty of and acknowledging it is incredibly important. Like if you want to be anti-racist, if you want to be a more understanding, compassionate human being who steps outside of your position, you have to acknowledge that you have been affected by a racist society. And that may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. It's my responsibility Lily was an incredibly average non-Jewish German citizen and most people like her were complicit in the violence. Most normal average people were just like her and they were complicit. Despite appearances of them being the perfect German Nazi couple, they were not. Neither were happy in the marriage and extramarital affairs were common for both of them. It's possible that part of this uh, discontent was fueled by Lily's sexuality, which she had never explored. As a child, she had been expelled from school for having a crush on a female cheat teacher. Uh, she would she would make a joke later that she's always kind of had a thing for like, um, I think like brunette Jewish women and they've always kind of had a thing for her, which will come into play later. Okay. But she's like looking back on it. Oh my God, I was a fucking lesbian. I don't, but she was never, that was never something that was presented as an option. So she just conformed because it's what she's supposed to do. So when Germany invaded Poland and war broke out, Lily's life didn't change much. She was a non-Jewish woman married to a Nazi soldier, so she wasn't subjected to the horrific atrocities that were being inflicted upon so many others leading up to and during World War II. In fact, their family benefited from the new regime. When Lily gave birth to her fourth child, a son from an extramarital affair, spilling the tea... She was awarded the Bronze Mother Cross, which was an award given to women who gave birth to male children for Hitler. Fucking gross. gross. Like, I literally, like, shivered when you said that. I'm just like, oh. I think this is a really good point to time to point out. Anyone who's, like, oddly invested in you producing children is to be avoided. Particularly, like, male children only. Yeah. Like, you know, in-laws, religious leaders, the government, anyone who's like, no, you have to have children should be fucking questioned and avoided at all costs. So other than the social standing that came with this not at all creepy honor, the family was given a housekeeper because taking care of a bunch, because the weird thing is four male children for families who got the mother cross 
the Nazi regime acknowledged, well, if we're going to ask these people to pump out all these kids, we at least need to help them take care of them. Right. So they were awarded a housekeeper. Young Germans were, at the time, were required to complete some kind of compulsory service. Men were conscripted to the military and women. women were housekeepers. They had to complete some kind of domestic service in support of the war effort. And I talked about this way back in episode 42 when I covered Sophie Scholl. Because um, her brother and her brother's friends were conscripted. And she was, like, just trying, she was trying to find some, like, service that met her goals and she didn't like want to be involved in the war as much as possible and but yeah it was like a weird thing so then as a part of the nazi war machine they're forcing the youth to take these jobs that support the continued production of new nazis new male nazis who can fight in wars it's so gross so being a housekeeper for a year was one of the ways young german women could fulfill their compulsory domestic service inga wolf or Wolf. I'm just going to say Wolf because it's a bitchin' last name. Yeah. Inga Wolf began working for the Verst family, but unlike the Verst family who were actively participating and benefiting from the Nazi regime, Inga was actively fighting against them as a supporter of the Jewish underground because... Fuck yeah, Inga. Inga's a fucking badass. I feel like anyone with the last name Wolf is immediately a badass. Heck yeah. Virginia Wolf, who was the shit? Who was the woman? You the the limp, the limping spy that you covered wasn't her last name Wolf. Mm, I will look it up. God, or was her first name Virginia? And I just keep I think thinking her first she's name Wolf. Was Virginia. God, what was her name? Kelly's gonna look it up, and I'm gonna read this next sentence. So the Jewish population of Berlin had been devastated. In only three months, 56,000 Jewish people were deported from the city to death camps. And that is not counting the Romani people who were targeted, queer people who were targeted, uh, individuals with physical and mental disabilities who were targeted. It was just, it, I mean, it, it, just, it blows my mind how you can go after the majority of the population. And get support. Yeah. Virginia Hall. Virginia Hall. That's it. Because she hauled ass while fucking up the Nazis. That's right. Virginia's and wolves are always a good combo. So those who remained went underground, hiding in the homes of supporters or taking on new identities and hiding in plain sight. One of these survivors was Felice er, Schragenheim. Felice had been born in Berlin on March 9th, 1922. She had faced the full force of growing anti-Semitism in Germany. Her parents had died young, and the remainder of her family were forced to flee the country in the face of growing violence. It was common for families to become separated as some members were able to flee and others to, to other countries and others weren't. Felice's sister was able to flee to England, but Felice was not able to follow um, there was it, it it's it's really horrifying to to think about how many people died because bureaucracy like she almost got out and got to the united states but the timing fell apart and then the us and germany stopped talking and they weren't taking refugees and it was a whole thing um there's a book who we we hope to interview the author of called overture of hope by isabel vincent and it really goes into the bureaucracy that was involved in trying to get 
you know, vulnerable German citizens out of Germany. And people died yeah. because paperwork. I know, it's such it's bullshit. It's so, it's so upsetting. But Felice was one of these people who was trapped in Germany because bureaucracy. Because paperwork. Only Felice and her grandmother were left in Berlin where they survived Kristallnacht. Felice tried to carry on the best she could. She had big dreams of becoming a photographer and journalist. She learned English and she planned on competing, completing her education. However, as we've discussed in previous episodes, she was barred from attending school after the Nazis passed legislation that barred Jewish students from public schools. It also barred Jewish people from a lot of jobs, especially in schools. So you couldn't be an educator. You can like pursue any kind of professional career. You were stuck. So instead, she got a job in a bottle factory. There is nothing wrong with working in a bottle factory. There is something wrong with being forced to work in a bottle factory because you're Jewish and you're not allowed to complete your education. Finally, in August of 1942, Felice witnessed her grandmother, her last remaining family member, be deported to a death camp. Soon after, Felice received her own deportation orders. That's heartbreaking. Felice was described as being unafraid and a risk taker, and she was not going to stand by while the Nazis terrorized the country. Fuck yeah, not going down without a fight. She was, like, she's really, she's fiery, she's daring, like, like she's kind of like an action movie hero. You know, she almost thrives on you know in a dangerous situation and it like like she just sounded sounds like such an incredible person um so she joined the jewish underground working to help jews flee germany or go into hiding to keep herself safe she adopted a new name felice schroeder which was did not have like a jewish connotation to it and carried fake papers so she could hide from the nazis in plain sight while carrying out her resistance activities she would even like go to shows and movies like she really was hiding in plain sight under this new identity because felice is a fucking maverick she got a new job. She was like, the bottle factory is not vibing with me. She got a job at a Nazi newspaper. The Jewish woman in hiding in Nazi Germany is, getting a job is working at the, at the Nazi oh my newspaper. God, I love that. Are you fucking kidding me? Talk about a queen. She was like, seriously, like the cojones, the oh, yeah. over, like the, I just, well, and it was cool because she was like, a lot of it was propaganda, but then she was kind of privy to some of this information. And really, that's that's such a good cover because why would a Jewish person in hiding work at a Nazi newspaper surrounded by Nazis? Like, Lily Wurst uh, would say, quote, she, she would have accomplished many things in life. While the Jewish underground certainly helped to save people, it wasn't a terribly stable organization because it's just a bunch of people who are like, this is fucked up and we need to start saving people. There's no handbook on this, yeah. you know? So made up of average untrained Jewish and non-Jewish German citizens, the network was susceptible to being reported on, captured, and killed because this, is, this isn't a professional military operation. We've talked about spy rings in the past. These are very average people who are like, we can't let these people die. We either have to hide them or get them out. And again, the story 
is really about average people. Yeah. Despite the hurdles, they work to obtain fake papers, food ration tickets, money, clothes, and other supplies for those fleeing or those who were in hiding. And that was like a tricky thing, the food ration tickets, because they were issued by the government. You could only get that, like, and that's one of the ways they could track if you were Jewish, if because they knew, you know, who was getting food ration tickets and who wasn't, like, who was in the household and that kind of thing. And there was actually a, a theory that the reason that and Frank and the other people hiding with her were discovered was because they were using an unusually high amount of food ration tickets for the household because the people hiding them were like squirreling them away or like getting extras or like that yeah, kind of thing. And exactly. it, it brought attention. So the food ration tickets were a big deal. They were. It was a it was a thing. Yeah. If you read about like that era. Yeah. But like just it was another way for the government to control these people. Exactly. So this is where Felice met Inga Wolf, the Vus new housekeeper. Though Inga, or sorry, through Inga, Felice and Lily would meet at a coffee shop on November 27th, 1942, which I think might still be there. It was as of like 1999, 2000, which I'm like, I want to go there. It's hard to know like what the circumstances around this meeting was, like if it was planned or if it was an accident, but Felice, who we all know likes to live on the edge, was thrilled by the idea of being close to the wife of a Nazi soldier. And by the way, Guntervus, he's off fighting. He's yeah. really not in he's the not picture. Around. He's he's not in the picture. He actually does not really come back into the story very much, so we can just kind of pretend he doesn't exist. Um, also Lily was a good connection for the Jewish underground. She had a large apartment, plenty of food ration tickets due to like her large family. And she was like, had the mother cross awards. So she was like hoity toity. Her husband was off to war and she would be above suspicion due to her status as the wife of a Nazi soldier and a good German woman. Good German Hausfrau. German Like, really, she's checking all the boxes, kind of, of her social script of what she needs to be. Right. Because she doesn't know. She's a fucking cheetah. Dory's a cheetah. Pugs, there are no cheetahs in here. Calm down. (laughs) Dory wants to be a fucking cheetah. Dory actually is a fucking cheetah. I don't know why I'm trying to deny that to her. So as Lily would recall, she started flirting with me immediately. And like she even says in another quote, like they were both flirting with each other aggressively. Like instantly they were like, this housekeeper walks in and she's like, bitch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, this was happening. The article I got also, this is a side note because I needed to include it. The article I got this quote from was from the Washington Post. It was written by Mary Beth Warner and it was titled, Women with nine lives, N-E-I-N. And I can't tell if that's like the world's best pun or if that is the cringiest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's it's both. I have complicated feelings. But yeah, I I read that. I'm like, what the fuck is? Yeah. I got a lot of good information, though. It was a great interview with, with Lily and everything. The pugs have made a decision. They are not a fan. They're they're putting their their little baby paw thumbs down. Anyway. So Felice began courting Lily, having dinner with her and Inga most nights. You know, she would come over for tea. Like she'd find all these excuses to come over. You know, you know how when you really like something, you're like, I was just like in the neighborhood. 
or like, oh, I just thought you might, you know, just kind of that you want to be around them. Lily was taken with Felice's lust for life, energetic nature, and her passion. Yeah. Yeah. No, because Felice is like... like she's everything so wait it was inga that introduced them yes because she was the housekeeper for lily okay we don't really hear much from inga anymore yeah inga just fades into the background she was because basically she was the match that lit the fire between these two exactly she met felice through the jewish underground and then that's how felice met lily so love it um Felice was also the antithesis of a good German woman. She was loud, outspoken, always wore pants, while Lily abided by traditional gender norms, being more quiet and feminine. Like, really, she's lived her whole life doing what she's supposed to, what's expected of her. As Felice and Lily grew closer, Felice pushed the envelope, hosting other members of the Jewish underground in Lily's apartment, with Lily having no fucking idea who the other women really were. Lily would later say, quote, I never had any idea. I hadn't realized that she had no ration card. As a large family, we had plenty of food to go around. So, like, Felice is bringing these other people to, like, have tea and snacks and food at Lily's place. And Lily's like, well, I got plenty of food. Yeah, I'll play hostess. And she's like, I I never put it together that none of these people had ration cards. Yeah, she was bringing other, like, people that were in hiding over so they could get food. Exactly. I love it. Uh, but what may have started out as a strategic adrenaline high became so much more. Felice developed. Yeah, no, these women, they fell for each other and they fell so fucking hard. Felice developed genuine feelings for Lily, writing her love letters and poems, showering her with flowers and growing even closer to her. In the letters to each other, Felice and Lily, um, uh, sorry, Felice called Lily Amy or Ami, A-I-M-E-E. Yeah, I think it's Ami. Ami. And Lily called Felice Jaguar because she's a fucking Jaguar, (laughs) which just feels so appropriate. Their letters erase any doubt as to the nature of their relationship. You know, sometimes we talk about these people and it's like, the letters are super vague and it's like, you know, it's like that queer erasure. It's like, you have to be blind to think that these women were not madly in love with each other. Lily writes to Felice that she's willing to leave her husband for her while Felice professes her undying love in a poem. Falling in love with Felice was a grand awakening for Lily. She said, quote, I began to feel alive as I never had before because she's finally living her life. In March of 1943, Lily was hospitalized for dental sepsis. Ew. Add that to my list of worst nightmares. Felice vis- visited what, sepsis, dental sepsis, anything with the with the mouth and I'm teeth. Thinking, well, I'm like sepsis usually comes with a lot of pus. Yeah, which means, and that means you have pus and in blood your point. mouth. Yeah, which just makes me want to vomit. Mm. Yeah, I have I have dreams about my teeth breaking sometimes. Mm. I, I have dreams I, about like my teeth falling out. Yeah, yeah I don't it's like. It's not fun. Anything with my mouth or teeth, I'm like, I'd rather, sometimes I'm like, "Mm, maybe I'd rather cut off my foot than have you do anything with my mouth. Anyway, um, it was during this, uh, Felice visited her in the hospital religiously, bringing her red roses every day. And it was during this hospital stay that Lily and Felice made their relationship official. They went on Facebook 
and they said in a relationship. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's how that's how we did it back in the day. I don't right? even think I'm that in a relationship. like I don't even think like Gen Zers give a shit about that anymore. Lily gave Felice a wish list from her diary that read, quote, I love this list because it's just it's like half low key, half extra. Cream, your handkerchief, writing paper, your love for me alone, needle and thread. Like she's just sprinkling these really romantic things in there with like also a needle and thread because my socks are ratchet. (laughs) Felice replied with a poem that read, there's just something I'm desperate to know. How is it to lie on your breast and dream of your lips? Oh, oh. I'm going to need a minute. Yeah. Like, I am. Ooh. What? <laughs> like, seriously, it's so. It's like, so sweet. Like, like, we don't, like, I, I, I know that it's very dramatic with the backdrop of the war and, you know, Felice being a Jew and hiding and all that. But, like, this does not need any of that to be so beautiful and romantic and, and just so sweet. I love it. The two would later share their first kiss, and on March 25th, 1943, they became engaged. Oh, wait, isn't one of them married? They're two women. It's not like they could get That's like true. legally married. That's true. Yeah, no, they... And, and I use the terms, like, engaged and married and things like that, because that's what it was to them. And the government can kind of go fuck itself with telling me that, like, I can't marry someone because of their gender. Right, So yeah, I mean... Especially fucking Nazis. Good God. God damn. Um, after Lily was released from the hospital, Felice moved into her apartment under the cover of like being a caregiver. Um, I read in some places that they held their own secret wedding ceremony. And like Lily does refer to Felice as her wife. Like they were Aww. wives. And-, and they had a ceremony for probably like yeah. a friend or two if anyone knew. was there yeah maybe Ida or Inga Inga maybe yeah um like I I get into this a little later but a lot of Felice's friends were very wary of her relationship with Lily because she's the wife of a Nazi soldier you know and this is war and people are literally being carted off and murdered you have to be incredibly careful um and Lily does get some some backlash later from her friends. But a few people did know, like a very select few people knew about their relationship. And Felice was helping Lily take care of her four children. And they called her Aunt Felice or like Aww. Auntie Felice. Yeah. And like th- all in all, they were like a very, they were a great family. Like the kids were doing well. Lily and Felice were doing well. All things considered. Um. Oh, yeah, a select few knew of their relationship, but for the most part, they hid their love. Not only was Felice at risk as a Jewish woman, but members of the LGBTQ plus community were also violently persecuted by the Nazis. Like, we, we've we seen the imagery of the pink triangles. Like, queer people yeah, were yep. also violently, per- like, they were yeah, also victims of the Nazis. Yes. Yeah, they just don't get a lot of attention because, you know, that's why we need pride. So... They would go on dates together under the guise of friendship, and there are several photos from a trip that they took to have a lake that shows them in their bathing suits, hugging and kissing, and just being like these two women in love. And if you see these photos, they just look like really lovely old-timey photos, and you wouldn't think that there's a war going on in the background. 
But amid the outings, letters, and growing romance, the overwhelming Nazi presence could not be ignored. Determined to murder all Jewish people in Berlin by Hitler's birthday, the Nazis, that's just like, here's a gift, murder. Like, that's how fucked up all these people are. Oh, 100%. And also, how rooted in violence their ideology is. You can't be a peaceful Nazi. It's all about hate and violence. Yeah, there is no such thing as peace to Nazis. Yeah, no, there isn't. Um, um, So, yeah, to to meet this really nasty, nasty, gross deadline, the Nazis enacted several major deportations. To protect herself, Felice would leave Berlin and stay with friends in the mountains and wait it out before returning. Felice was also still working for the Jewish underground, and while she was engaging in activities... uh, in front of the ignorant Lily, she couldn't share details with her. So really what's happening is Felice is just kind of disappearing randomly and she's not telling Lily where she's going or how long she's going to be or what's going on. And Lily, still not knowing Felice's true nature, was very confused by all of this. And I can also imagine she was probably feeling incredibly insecure because after all, she and her husband were unhappy and like sleeping with other people and I feel like if that's a, that's a behavior you've engaged in, you become very paranoid about other people engaging in it too. So who was to say Felice wasn't doing the same thing? Or it's just it's just weird. It's like we're so in love, right? But you're definitely keeping secrets from me, and you're just disappearing for days on end, and I have right, no idea what's going on. In May of 1943, Lily finally confronted Felice about her suspicious behavior. Felice looked at Lily and asked. Will you still love me if you know the truth? Before confessing that she was a Jewish woman in hiding. I cannot express how huge of a risk this is because all of the love, all of the ceremonies, all of the commitment in the world, if you are hateful like that, it's not going to matter. Right. Like, Like Felice is literally giving her life to Lily in a literal way. Right. Like, she's like, I'm going to give you information that you could use to turn me in and get me murdered. Yeah. Because I love you. As Lily recalled, quote, I took her in my arms and said, now more than ever. I'm not crying. You're crying. I'm fine. so precious. I just, it's, it's kind of one of those things. It's like Lily might have, you know... She might have had anti-Semitic leanings before, but she's really kind of coming around to this other side. She's opening herself up to this different person, this different experience, and really exploring this whole other aspect of life that she didn't think she could have or was supposed to have. And like, again, I'm not condoning, I'm not being like, she married a Nazi, but, but I'm just saying that the personal growth is really admirable because there are a lot of people who never grow <laughs> and that's a problem. So by this point, Lily had legally separated from her husband who would later be killed in the fighting. Again, we don't really have to think about him anymore. And the couple was trying to live their lives as normally as Nazi occupied Germany could allow. Though most of Felice's underground network had fled in the face of increased Nazi efforts, the war did seem to be coming to an end, and Felice hoped that her association with Lily, the perfect German wife and mother, Mutter, Mutter? Mutter. Mutter, would shield her from Nazi detection. Because really, again, it's like, oh, we're not even going to look in Lily's direction because she is the perfect Nazi housewife, and we're not going to look at anyone around her. 
Right. Because she wouldn't, she wouldn't be associated with those people. Exactly. But that's not how it worked out. On August 24th, 1944, the Gestapo surrounded Lily and Felice's apartment. And I read in some places this was right after that trip to the lake where they took all those pictures. So, like, those photos of them just being, like, purely two people in love together without the backdrop of the war. Like, that was the last real happy time that they were able to have together. And, like, I read that in a few places. I'm like, please don't let that be true because that really fucks me up. Um Knowing what would come next, Felice quickly took off a silver signet ring and gave it to Lily. As Lily recalled, she knew that where she was going, she couldn't have jewelry. And actually, in, like, ages later, like, Lily would keep this ring for the rest of her life. She wore it on a chain. That and like sense. She's doing this interview, and she, like, takes it out and shows it to the interviewer. She still has oh. it. Felice was taken to a transit camp in North Berlin where she awaited to be sent to a variety of horrific death camps. Lily was also arrested but released with some reports saying that her status as the wife of a Nazi soldier, who at this time was presumed missing in action, and the mother of four children brought lenience. So again, to, to, to think that her privilege was protecting her and might protect those around her, that was not an incorrect thing to think. It absolutely did. Despite her own miraculous escape, Lily repeatedly tried to go see Felice at the transit camp, but the Nazis, being Nazis, wouldn't let it happen. In September 1944, Felice was deported to the Russianstadt concentration camp in Czechoslovakia. Still, Lily tried to arrange visits with Felice, which were refused. Um, but it sounds like she was able to smuggle in some, in some goods like warm clothing, because I guess there's mm. a letter where... Um, Felice, Felice was smuggling out letters and she thanks Lily for like the warm clothes. Um, allegedly she got a meeting with like the commandant of the camp and was like begging to see Felice and he's like, ew, and like threw her out. Um, and some people think that might've actually kind of expedited things, the the events for Felice. I think that what was going to happen was inevitable regardless. And the idea of putting that kind of responsibility on Lily is not fair because really it's like these, these people are being hateful and the way they express that hate is not anyone else's responsibility. So throughout her imprisonment, Felice snuck out letters to Lily promising to be home soon and signing them your cage Jaguar. On October 9th, 1944, Felice was taken to Auschwitz, where it is largely believed that she died while on a death march to the Gross-Rossen concentration camp and then to Bergen-Belsen. So this was at the time where Allied forces were closing in. So they were... So the Nazis were doing these mass murders of people and, like, moving them to other camps to try and hide what they were doing. So, like, the... the, um, the Allies are getting close to Auschwitz, so they're sending all of these yep. pri- these they, people on death marches yeah, it's where it's so like, bad. and the terms of a death march, you have to keep running. If you move out of line, you're shot. If you drop, you're shot. You might just drop dead and die, but like yeah. you need to keep moving. And it's absurdly cold weather. You are starving. You have yeah, no clothing. You. I couldn't do that. 
in the picture of health, like the fact that anyone was able to survive, these are truly remarkable. Um, Felice's last letter to Lily was sent from Gross Rawson on December 26 and read, my dear, a nurse just arrived and said, we'd get to leave here. Pray and keep your fingers crossed. Always yours, F. While Felice's death date and the location of her body have never been determined, a Berlin court ruled that her death, her death date as being December 31st, 1944. So really we have a pretty narrow window, which I don't think is very common, Mm -hmm. but her last letter was sent on December 26th when she was at Gross Rawson. There was a documented death march from Gross Rawson to Bergen-Belsen. So either she died on that march or or she died at Bergen-Belsen. Well, uh, so for perspective on how close to the end of the war this was, Auschwitz was liberated on January 27th, 1945. Gross Rossen would be liberated in February and Bergen-Belsen in April. So they are, like the Allies are right on the heels. And that's why the Nazis were so like adamant on getting these people moved and killing them as quickly as possible. Because they wanted to hide what they were doing. Um, The Nazis would finally be defeated over the course of April and May of 1945 with the Nazi forces in Berlin surrendering on May 2nd, 1945. Lily spent the rest of the war hiding three Jewish women in her home, all of whom survived to see the end of the war. Um, And this is despite the Nazi forces in Berlin now paying attention to her. Like she couldn't fly under the radar of anonymity. She was being watched very closely and she still was able to hide and save these three women. Throughout the winter of 1945 and 46, Lily began to compile all of the poems and letters that she and Felice had shared, calling it her book of tears. Because this literally cannot be sadder. Yeah. Lily would never stop grieving Felice and withdrew saying, quote, I was like a snail climbing back into its shell. She would keep a photo of Felice with a candle lit under it for the rest of her life. Whatever Lily's true leanings were before the war, she after certainly embraced Judaism, learning more about it, teaching it to her children, and even enrolling them as school in school as Jews. One of her sons actually converted to Judaism when he was 14 and moved to Israel. And I kind of think of this because I know in the Jewish faith, it's it's passed down maternally. So if your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish. If your father's Jewish and your mother's not, you have to like convert. And so I think of it as like Felice was your mother. Yeah. And you're inheriting this from her. And also like this is a way for Lily to keep Felice alive in some way. Like there's there's a lot of grieving happening here. There's a lot of complex grieving. Um, Lily largely stayed quiet about her time with Felice, along with the grief of losing her wife. She likely struggled, struggled with survivor's guilt. Many of Felice's surviving friends blamed her for Felice's death. And like, I'm not saying that's okay. And I condone it. I get where they're coming from though, because they were all worried that Felice's relationship with Lily was going to get her killed. Exactly. And I could, I couldn't find how the Gestapo found out about Felice and her true nature. I think there's a million different ways because she was a part of the Jewish underground. I I don't think Lily ratted her out. Oh, a hundred percent not. 
hundred percent. That's the not. only thing I'm like one hundred percent. Yeah, that's not what happened. No, no, because I mean they were they were actively searching and doubling and tripling their efforts to find Jewish people in hiding, and it yeah, and it it was just getting especially with the end of the war coming. It was like they they were ravenous. They were like an animal caught in a corner. Um. Quote, I was alone for years. For about three decades, I lived totally within myself. Only on Sundays did I allow myself the privilege of thinking about Felice, and I have never stopped loving her, Lily said. Despite this, Lily and Felice's story did get out, and in September of 1981, Lily was awarded the Order of the Federal Republic of Germany for helping Jewish women during the war. Um, And even though this was the 80s, Naturally, the neo-Nazi shitbags attacked her home by spreading shit all over her door. The shit is too clean for you. And I, like, Germany still struggles to reconcile with its past and the Nazi regime. Um, I think there has been a lot of effort to acknowledge it and to, like, stomp that shit out but there is still a thriving community of neo-nazis all across the world and they are active and they are violent and they are they're fucking awful they're they're a threat to all of us the publicity from this award and the disgusting retaliation from literal garbage people brought further attention by journalists to Lily and Felice's story. She said, quote, I suddenly felt that I owed it to Felice so that people would know who she was. Books, movies, plays, and more were made based on Felice and Lily's story with the 1994 book, I'm Ian Jaguar, a love story, Berlin, 1943 by Erica Fisher. Um, being the most popular, and it would later be turned into a movie by the same name. On August 31st, 1995, Lily Vust was declared righteous among nations by Yad Vashim, which is Israel's, like, Holocaust memorial organization. Lily died on March 31st, 2006, at 92 years old. She is buried in Lichterfeld, Berlin, Germany. And in death, Lily made one final act to ensure Felice's memory and story lived on. Under her name and birth and death dates, her gravestone reads, In memoriam, Felice Schott... I'm so sorry, I'm really bad at this last name. Schragenheim. Felice Schragenheim, 1922 to 1945. Because Felice never got a proper grave, Lily shared hers. So her grave would be a permanent memorial to Felice. To who, both of them. To both of them and their love. But again, like Felice, we just gone. Like, well, we're never going to know what happened to her, where she is, any of that. Legacy. The movie Ami and Jaguar, based on Erica Fisher's book by the same name, premiered in 1999. It was a German movie, and this was a big deal because, again, Germany has a hard time confronting that part of itself. Lily Vust met uh, met the actor Maria Schrader, who played Felice, and her baby daughter. So Maria's baby daughter at a like movie promotion yeah. event. So like Lily got done doing an interview. She goes out into this hotel lobby where they're doing all the promotional stuff, and she meets Maria who played Felice in the movie. The two women gave each other long hugs and Maria, sorry, 
this part fucked me up when I was uh, writing it. And Lily told Maria, quote, be sure to give that baby of yours a kiss for me. Maria had named her new baby Felice. And it just, it breaks my heart because it, like, it, it's beautiful and it breaks my heart because this little baby is growing up in a world where it's going to be so much better for her. Yeah. And she's going to get to live a life of safety and comfort. She's going to get to pursue whatever the fuck she wants and do all the things that Felice did not get a chance to do. Right. And like the fact and like Maria, she she really dug into the writings that the two shared with each other and like really tried to get into Felice's head and do an accurate portrayal. And of Maria's portrayal uh, of Felice, Lily said, quote, I felt that she had stepped into her into the skin of Felice. So she gets the thumb up from Lily. But yeah, the fact she named her named her new baby girl Felice and Lily's like, give that little girl a kiss for me. I'm like, Felice is uh, also one of 70,000 victims of the Holocaust honored in Berlin's stumbling stones. And these are these are a series of small square stones that read here lived and that has the names, the birth dates and then the death or deportation dates, whatever information is available of those who were killed in the Holocaust. They are spread all across Berlin. Like it seems like they have a pretty wide margin. Like it looks like they're in like little clusters, but they're all over the place and they're embedded along uh, with normal street cobblestones and some people took issue with this because they're like oh you're stepping on them or they're not like in a place where you're gonna like look up and see but I totally get the point because it's like these were the people who made up this place who walked these streets and I don't care if you're going to the grocery store dropping the kids off or like going to the pub you're gonna see these people and you're gonna see their names and you're gonna remember they walked here too yeah so Felice does have her name recognized on one of those. And I want to end this with a quote from Lily that may either lift you up or destroy you entirely. Quote, twice since she left, I felt her breath and a warm presence next to me. I dream that we will meet again. I live in hope. And that I live in hope. That's beautiful. Ah, they're definitely, like, sad. They're definitely hanging out in, you know, up, okay, I know they're, I know, like, they're, like, in the Jewish faith, there's no heaven, but they're, they're vibing. They're vibing in the ether. Their love is, like, radiating over the world. Everything good is influenced by their love. And they're living together and they are hope. So yeah, that is the story of Felice and Lily, Ami and Jaguar, a Berlin love story. That's beautiful. I, I like don't want to follow that because like, I so beautiful. There is so much that I couldn't even get into because this actually, I, I misquoted. This is, I think, oh no, it is six pages long. It just gave me an extra page yeah this is this is like the longest I get with stories and there was a lot that I decided to leave out for clarity and consistency um I yeah just like look into the story it'll break you but also I think it's it's so interesting because these were all ultimately very average people and their backdrop was such 
extreme hatred and violence and how they're combating that while also trying to live their lives together in the face of like anti-LGBTQ plus sentiment. Like there's so much going on here. And I think their story is just as relevant today as it was, you know, 20 years ago. It is. Like, this is one of those timeless love stories. Well, and even just a story of compassion and growth and taking control of your life and choosing who you get to be because you're a fucking cheetah. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash herstory. So Kelly, who are you whining about? And please, please, dear God, tell me there are no Nazis. There are no Nazis. Thank you, Christ, because I cannot. <laughs> I'm so done i got so worked up doing this research it's just been very upsetting which it should be yeah but god damn it no i'm whining about barbara may cameron and if that name sounds familiar she was the google doodle a few i days almost ago. covered her i almost well, covered I her checked with you i was like we have a shortened amount of people this month. I like started writing that story and like wrote the birth date and everything. And then I was like, wait, there was a story I've been wanting to cover. And I, I couldn't remember that because this is often known as like Felice and Lily, yeah. just for short. And I was just like, World War II German lesbians. And it came up and I'm like, oh yeah, this is the story I wanted to do. So I'm... <laughs> Kelly and I were joking that like our Boston marriage is so strong that the way that we sync up with our stories in June is especially strong because we have covered the same story before. Luckily, I was covering three women yeah. in my story, so I was just able to cut the one out. I literally started those notes and changed my mind. I edited the same document. That's super funny. Oh my God. And because I saw the Google Doodle and I was like, Hello. Yeah, I know. That's what I did too. That's fantastic. Okay. That's I'm so glad. Super funny. I'm so glad I changed well, my mind. Well, that's why I checked in with you because yeah. I was like, all right, let's 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 make sure. Because I had enough time that I could have written another one had I needed to. I will say if you had been covering this story, I would have like, 
I would have. He would have punched me in the tit. No, I would have been like, it's mine. Deal with it. I have cried. You don't get this story. (laughs) What if I had cried, Emily? That's a you problem. (laughs) You crying is a me problem. (laughs) Me crying is a me problem. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Yeah. Let's talk about empathy and compassion now. (laughs) Yeah. So yes, Barbara May Cameron. So she was born May 22nd, 1954. So more recent than a lot of our our stories. World War II is over at this point, mercifully. She was part of the Hunkpapa Lakota um, in North Dakota. Oh, North Dakota? She's part of the Lakota in North Dakota. Did I I tell you I... um... I had drinks with a couple of friends and my one friend was mentioning that, you know, she went to school in South Dakota. I was like, is that the one with Mount Rushmore? Is that the other one? And she looks at me like I've just turned my skin inside out. And she's like, are you fucking serious right now? And I'm like, I can talk as an educated person about true crime and women's history all damn day. But you tell me I don't know which Dakota to tell you which. which goddamn Dakota the stolen nasty patriarchy mountain is in. South. I'm sorry if it's not. I've committed it to memory now. It's South Dakota. I've forgotten other things because that is so burned into my memory along with my friend's face. But yeah, I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't remember where like stolen land patriarchy mountain is in right. one of the Dakotas where they couldn't even come up with a unique enough name. Like, well, I know this one's on top. Should we call it upper Dakota? What about North? That just sounds more familiar. Oh, yeah, I yeah. mean, they're not the only Should North Should we call state. the other one I mean, lower? They are also lazy. North Virginia and then West Virginia. There's not even a South Virginia. What? There's no North Virginia. There's not. <laughs> See? See, it's not just no, me. No, it's North Carolina. It's North, North Carolina, Carolina and South Carolina. And South and Carolina. fucking West Virginia. And then just Virginia. Yes. I'm calling it North Virginia It's from now North on. Virginia. I hope it's actually somehow South. <laughs> now I need to look at a state. Okay. Now I want you to edit that out, but I know you won't. <laughs> I will not. Yeah. No. Because we, when, this is what happens when I drink. I forget that this there's is what no happens. North Virginia. This is what happens when your country is so goddamn big, you can't come up with names for all the states. So it is. It's like southeast of West Virginia. God damn it. That's hilarious. It's just still called it North Virginia. Yep. I, I mean, I know that there are a lot of reasons for that. Like that show, how the states, states, states got their sheets. States got their shapes probably gets into that. But still, it just feels very lazy to me and I resent it. I resent myself, and Emily won't edit out my embarrassment. Hey, I came fully clean about not knowing which Dakota Mount Rushmore is in. The least you could do was step in it with me. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's, let's get, get back, back to, to our gal. Let's get back to her. So which Dakota is she in again? North. Oh, so she doesn't have stolen, no. stolen land Patriarchy Mountain. No, she just has stolen land in general. In general. In a very general, wide, um, and painful sense. Yep. Because she she lives on the Standing Rock Indian Reservation. Is that... Isn't that where they were having all the protests about the, the oil pipeline? I believe so. Oh, my God. Why are we still doing this? 
This is not, that's not about that. <laughs> I know, but still, it's like, oh my God, can we all just. So she lives chat. in like the, like Northeastern, she lives in the, four, if you look at like the Standing Rock Indian Reservation, um, she lives in Fort Yates, which is like the upper Eastern area. Okay. Um, she was raised by her grandparents. I didn't see anything about her parents or like who her grandparents were. And she completed her early education and homeschooling on the reservation. That was pretty common. Mm-hmm. Still pretty common, actually, I believe. She actually decided to go on to further education, which is great. And she went into photography and film at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So she's traveling cross country. From North Dakota to New Mexico. Very different climates. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a dry heat, though. <laughs> it wouldn't be so bad if it weren't for the wind. <laughs> After graduating, she would then move to San Francisco to attend the San Francisco Art Institute. Good she, for her. Right? Good for her. So, like I said, she, she was in photography and film. And she would want win multiple media and theater arts awards throughout her career. Uh, however, the one screenplay she was writing called Long Time No See would remained unfinished at the time of her death, which oh. is very sad. It's she spent a long time on it and we got to no see. Right. That's a bummer. <laughs> I just fucked Don't up even Kelly's laugh world. At that one. That was I just so bad. I just fucked up Kelly's entire world. So bad. That so is I why I didn't catch it at first, and then I was like, "Oh my god!" That's why I do this podcast to just destroy Kelly emotionally. Oh. Anyways, so a few years after moving to Santa Fe, or sorry, San Fran, not Santa Fe, San Fran. At Navi trying to break out from the door, or no, I'm me still laughing at no Oh, yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> so I'm just moving past it. We all need to just move past it. I need to get my shit together. So, a few years after moving to San Fran, she would co found the Gay American Indians or the GIA. Which Love was, it. Which was the first ever dedicated Native American LGBTQIA plus group. Um, with her friend and fellow activist named Randy Burns. So together they made this GIA. Love to see that intersectional activism. Right. The reason that they founded this according to Barbara, so this is according to Barbara, was that the Native American gay community had different needs and struggles than the white American gay community. Shocking. Yeah, we've and we've talked about this extensively. Um, and this is why intersectional feminism and activism is so important because two of the who have become iconic queer icons, Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, were rejected from the yeah. gay lib movement at the time because they were trans women of color who were yeah. like living on the fringes. And everyone's like, oh, they're too loud, they're not white bread enough for this. And they were excluded, and now we honor them. Right. I think it's, and it's, we should. And it's, it, it's frustrating that this is a pattern that seems to right. repeat. Right. So, um, and more, so moreover, other than the fact that they had different needs, like the Native American gay community and the white gay community, um, there was just a general lack of support for people of color within the lesbian and gay community. Just like Emily brought up. That was literally the next line in my notes. 
Um, oh yeah, that's because I'm reading your notes right now. No, I'm kidding. I'm I'm absolutely not. She would go on to con- contribute to the anthology Our Right to Love, which was a lesbian resource book, and so she would help write part of that and just kind of like her take on being a lesbian within the Native American community. Um, for the next five years, from 1980 to about 1985, Barbara would participate in organizing the Lesbian Gay Freedom Day Parade and Celebration. I love that. Yeah. And she would also contribute to This Bridge Called My Back, which was writings by radical women of color, which was like an anthology by all these different women of color. Shocking. So it was radical. It was called The Bridge Called My Back, writings by radical women of color. I love that. Right. Where can I get a copy? So her specific article was called, Gee, You Don't Seem Like an Indian from the Reservation. This This is what we call microaggressions. (laughs) This analyzed topics of racism. No, that's the article she wrote. Oh, oh, okay. Because I'm sure she's heard that. Yeah, her article in this anthology, that's what she titled it. Oh, you're so articulate. Right. Very well spoken. Based on microaggressions, probably. Yeah. Emily was real fired up about microaggressions. I got real fiery. Um, But yeah, it was her take and analysis on the racism and homophobia from both inside and outside the Native American community. And so, yeah, like it it was her talking about all these microaggressions and all of these different things that she faces, both as like a Native American and on the reservations and within her own people and how the greater community at large sees her. Well, she has she has such a layered perspective, right? You know, not just not just as an indigenous woman growing up on the reservations, but also as a queer woman, as a woman of color. You know, just like there are all these ways that her experience intersects with right. other people's, and she can talk about all of them, right? In 1981, she would meet uh, the woman who would become her life partner, a woman named Linda Boyd. Um, they would be together for the next 21 years and raise a son together named, I don't know if it's Riss or Rise. It's R-H-Y-S. I'd say Rise. Rise. Yeah. So they they would be, so for the rest of this story, they are together. I couldn't find a ton on their relationship. I have some quotes by um, her wife later. Mm -hmm. Actually, I don't technically know if they ever got married, but her partner. Her wife. um, Partner. I mean, actually, yeah, you don't have to define it as wife, but I also don't want to, like, exclude them from that sense. Again, this is a process. That's why I called her her life partner. I was like, they they stay together for the rest of their lives. I like that. Um, So Barbara was known to be outspoken and formidable, obviously. Like, she's rallying all these causes. She's speaking out about how she's treated different in in both within the lesbian and gay community and within being a lesbian and gay within the Native American community. But she's actually most often remembered for her calm and respectful energy in all the face of all of this oppositions. And this made her a natural leader. And the rest of her life would kind of reflect that. Because mm-hmm. she would occupy multiple leadership positions. And I mean, she was already founder of the GIA. She was working to put together that lesbian gay freedom day parade and celebration and all of this stuff. But she kind of just keeps, keeps trucking. Yeah. In the late 1980s, Barbara was vice president of the Alice B. Tokless LGBT Democratic Club. 
Jeez, that's a mouthful. Take a breath. Just. <sighs> so she's vice president of that. And at the same time, she's co-chairing the lesbian agenda for action. So again, she's doing all of this stuff where she's pushing this into the limelight, fighting for equality, fighting even just to get voices heard. Mm-hmm. Um. In 1986, together with other women in the area, uh, Barbara would um, create a group or like these women would create a group called the Somos Hermanas or We Are Sisters. Oh, I actually understood that. Thank Uh, you, Duolingo. And they (laughs) together they would go to Nicaragua to study and show solidarity with the women there and the struggles they were facing and just to help improve their lives in general and like teach them. And like it had nothing to do with the LGBTQ plus IA community, they were just like, hey, these women in Nicaragua need help. They're struggling. They're facing a lot of difficult things. Let's get together and go and help them because we are all women and we can all support each other. Well, and even beyond that, we are all people who need support and deserve right. support. That That's really beautiful because like th- there's nothing wrong with like having a cause and making that your focus because there's a lot of stuff that we all care about and it's right. hard to decide where to put your very limited energy but I think that's really beautiful that they're not they're 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 not boxing themselves in right you know they're They're like like, oh injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere right exactly when she returned she would serve as the delegate for Jesse Jackson's rainbow coalition to the Democratic National Convention so that's like a sub like LGBTQIA thing for the Democratic Convention Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool that same year, she'd be appointed by Diane Feinstein, who was the mayor of San Francisco at the time, to be um, the Citizens Committee on Community Development and the San Francisco Human Rights um, Commission. So, like, the mayor of the city she's living in, which is San Francisco, which is a huge city, is like, girl, I see what you're doing. Come help me with stuff. Well, also, San Francisco has a very prominent and special place in queer history. Exactly. I mean... Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, that's all, that's all I'm going to say. There's a lot to it. Yeah. There's a, it's another thing that's like very multi-layered, both yes. good and bad. Um, she was also appointed, um, by the next mayor of San Francisco. So after, um, Diane was gone, Frank Jordan was the next mayor and he appointed her to serve on the United Nations Commission commission on the status of women. I love that. Right. Well, and I love when you get you get these people who actually know what they're talking about and who have been doing the work and you're like, Hey, will you help us make sure we're doing it right? Instead of having elective elected officials who are like, I don't know. I've never met a hungry person in my life. Mm. I'm like, bitch. Right. So for the next few years, Barbara would kind of switch her focus. Not like intentionally. She was still doing the rallies, doing the causes, doing all the LGBTQIA things which is great, but she also began assisting victims of domestic violence and hate crimes. She became the executive director of the Community United Against Violence, or the CUAV. Quav. Quav. Um, No, it doesn't work with that one. And due to her work with that, she would receive the Harvey Milk Award for community service. I was going to mention Harvey Milk, because he's a big big (laughs) figure in San Francisco, but I'm like, this isn't his story. Right. She was. She would also, following that, be the first recipient of the Bay Area Career Women Community Service Award. First recipient. Would it's always a huge. It's always a huge honor. I feel like to be the first recipient of a new award because you're like, 
it's like they made the award exactly. because they're like, we need to acknowledge this person. Crap, we don't have an award already. We're going to make this and also right. encourage other people to follow suit. Yeah. So after, after working with the domestic violence and the hate crimes, she again pivoted and would um, start working with the International Indigenous AIDS Network. Um, or initially going to the International Conference on AIDS, AIDS in Berlin, but she would spend over a year engaged in AIDS, AIDS education, particularly within the reservations, oh because AIDS was so prevalent in on Indian reservations, and no one was doing anything about it. And that's a that that's a whole part of the AIDS crisis that we we don't hear about. No. We don't talk about because yep. it's, I mean, even the, like there, there are reservations where they don't have fresh water, good yep. education. And like, don't even get me started about the laws and missing yeah. murdered indigenous. Like it's, it's bad. It's so it's bad. really bad. And again, we should all be fucking embarrassed that this is happening in our country. Right. But again, that's why that intersectionality is so important. Cause when we think of the AIDS crisis, we, th- we tend to think of, you know, Young white men. Exactly. And that's like, okay, well, young white men, or yes, I almost said young white men of color. God damn. You know, young men of color. What about, you know, women? Like, like you know, it, it's like you there have so to. so many people miss. You have to crisis. consistently take that extra step to step outside yourself. And it's not always easy. And Barbara's in a position where she's always thinking of these, of, of everyone. Right. So, after her touring, she kind of got noticed for her work with AIDS and she became, she served on the board of directors for both the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and the American Indian AIDS Foundation. She would also become a consultant for the CDC or the Centers for Disease Control. Um, That's a big deal. Right. And the United States Department of Health and Human Services. Like I said, particularly her 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 subject was on like the AIDS in the Native American community, and she was the founder of the Institute on Native American Health and Wellness. Yeah, sorry, I'm just I'm just like she's doing so much, yep. and she's doing so much everywhere, right? Like like from the CDC to like this grassroots stuff, and like she's. She, Who's got the time? Apparently she does. Yeah. One of her first big projects after founding the Institute was a publishing project uh, working with Native American women writers to get their voices out there. Oh, my God. The Kala Shaw would be so proud. Barbara would sadly die in 2002 at only the age of 47, but of natural causes. Um, She would leave behind her partner of 21 years, Linda, and their son, uh... Rise is what we said, right? I, I Risk, think so. Rise. rise. Um, that that just feels on brand for it, her. And despite having spent over half of her life in San Francisco, Barbara was buried in South Dakota, just outside of the reservation where she was raised, and it is a fitting final resting place. She went all over the country and the world doing good, empowering people, and yeah, the fact that she got to got to go home right. and rest. So... Um, after the Google doodle, you can go and read the entire interview, but, um, Linda is still alive. And so she gave like an interview to Google when this Google doodle of her partner came out, which I think is absolutely beautiful. She's also like making sure her partner's story is told. Right. 
Yeah. She, oh my so God. here are just some of the things she said. She, she said um, that while Barbara was busy, was busy and an activist throughout her life, she also had a very kind heart and it showed through it when they raised their son together. Um, Linda also talked about that they traveled together to Barbara's reservation for a naming ceremony wherein a wisdom keeper conducted a ceremony to ascertain Barbara's real Lakota name. Um, In the ceremony, they formed a circle around a blanket on which gifts were offered to the ancestors, and all of us opened ourselves up to whatever energy showed up. Um, In the ceremony, ceremony, Barbara was named Wea Washiti We, which means woman, good woman. And this name was bestowed on her because she cared about others and always worked to serve, manifesting the virtues of the warrior, thus being a good representative representative of her hunk papa people. That's, that's what her wife said, or her partner. She died so young. Yeah, she did. Like, she should still be alive. But, yeah, that was Barbara, who did so much in not a lot of time. God. And the Google Doodle is beautiful. It it is. No, it really, it really struck me. And, you know, I I know that you cover two spirit people, but we haven't really gone into the intersection of indigenous people and queer identity very much. Right. And I think like, and I'm not going to speak for you, but if I'm looking for people in a certain genre, so to speak, um, you know, I, I Google like, oh, you know, women, you know, L- queer women you haven't heard of or lesbian women or, you know, ace women, that all that stuff. And, you know, I try to find someone holistical who we have not talked about, which right. gets harder, not because we've, you know, covered everyone, but because the women on these lists repeat. Right. A lot. It's like the same 10 women, which I'm glad their names are getting out there, but also there are so many more. And yeah, so we just haven't really been exposed to that. And the Google Doodle brought Barbara to you. And that's really wonderful. Yeah. I had a bunch of other people on my list, but I saw it and I was like, I'm just going to cover her right away because. And I'm glad you did. And I'm glad I didn't because otherwise (laughs) we would be in a predicament. I will say I got mad. I was was reading comments somewhere about the google Doodle. oh god no. fucking damn it and it wasn't even like a homophobic comment it was someone that was like she died in 2002 but she's carrying a flag that wasn't made until 2018 talk about historical revisionism and i'm like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> i got so mad i was like that's not they're not saying that this this isn't like a trying to be a historically accurate photo like what the fuck is wrong with you i just want to point out that uh there was a google doodle recently about axolotls where you got to play a game where you took pictures of axolotls doing things like having tea playing tennis dancing also can you say that word again axolotl is that not how you say it axolotl axolotl you say axolotl i say axolotl yeah axolotl there's no w uh, Q would be so yeah. embarrassed because that's her favorite animal. Are so freaking cute. Yeah, but that that Google Doodle right. had a game where axolotls are doing all of these like Excuse me, activities. That is, uh, not fic or not realistic. I'm not talk okay about revisionist it. biology. Yeah, just, oh, like, God I got damn. like irrationally mad about it because I was just like, "Are you serious? Like you're missing the entire fucking point." I think it's 
it can be very frustrating. I, I think we're all at our limit with how much stupid shit we can intake and still be moderately okay. Yeah. And it's one of those things where when you get exposed to more of that, it's 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 not about that one comment. It's about that comment and all the others and all the other right. bullshit and the shitty bumper stickers and the white supremacists and the fucking Nazis. I'm surprised Dory didn't start barking at that one. She's too she's, tired. She's so she's done. So, she's so done with fucking Nazis. Yeah, no, she's Everything is Nazis. entirely done. So, Emily. Don't ask me to say things after I just got done yelling. What are you thankful for? Um, the lack of fucking Nazis. I mean, can I be thankful yes. for that? Because they're still fucking everywhere, it feels like. Um I am really thankful that we got to go to Pride. I've been trying to go to like our local Pride for a while. It just never works out. Um, and we got to go. And because I, I identify as demisexual, which is on the A spectrum, I had a bunch of scrunchies that I arranged in the colors and I order of the A flag. I so much. The coolest thing about it was like I I was in an environment where I should have expected people to recognize it, but I didn't expect it. And I was... I was like, there, there is, there is this person there and they had their dog and I was like, oh my God, your dog is so cute. Can I say hi? And she like, and, um, you know, she's like, oh yeah, of course. And then she not like nods to my wrist and she's like, oh, I love that. Like I'm a, I'm a aromantic and like, that's why I wore this flannel. So it has the, you know, the pink. And I was like, that's super. And it was awesome. just one of those things where like, it took me backwards. <laughs> I was like, how the fuck did you? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm advertising. <laughs> but it was just really cool to like feel seen. But then that like, oh, hey, I see you. That's awesome. Right. That like reinforcement. Yeah. of Like, it's OK. It's it's OK. And people know what you're talking about. Right. You know, and there there was a lot of really good representation, not just, you know, um, not just being gay. <laughs> Bisexuality was oh, well represented. Was out there. Trans people of color, um, a bunch of stickers, asexuality, sapphic, and everyone was like, "What does that mean?" And it's women liking women. Oh my god! So Kelly's work had a booth there that she got to work. It was amazing. I got a we sticker. Had so many. Stickers. I loved it. it I loved it great. so much. I we we tried so to have stickers representing like each orientation. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I thought we you tried did. to cover like the entire spectrum. Our administrative assistant, they are completely wonderful. That is that's incredible. It was also really cool. There were um there were several booths from religious institutions. I was, I was there was gay surprise. I know there that made was me laugh gay so hard. Jesus, and I loved it because I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yes. No. And I think that's my thankful for too, because not only, yeah, was like, there was such a good mix in the community, like not only of the people that showed up, but like the booths that were there, there was a lot of different mental health places. There were, yeah, like different religious places of different religions too. Like they yeah. weren't all one type of religion. There were, um, like the County was there. Like the, sh I don't think the sheriff's office was there, but like, Cirque, which is our like crisis center, was there, mm -hmm. and like everyone was super supportive. Artists everyone, were there, yeah. Like there were people selling stuff that they had made. Camp Companion was there with kittens, live kittens. You missed that, didn't you? 
I'm not okay anymore. Like, <laughs> Why would al- I almost, miss that? Almost every booth had like stuff that you can get that was all like super pride friendly, but like awesome too. Like some people had like rainbow fidget toys. Some people had like stickers or pronoun buttons or all of these different things. And it was just so wonderful to see our community like come out and just be. It, it really was. And, and it how, was so busy. How all day. normal it all felt. Yeah. And there was such a wide range of people. Yeah. And no, it, it was just, it awesome. was, it was great. It was awesome. I, and I'm, I'm thankful for our community for having it and our community for being so incredibly supportive and like everyone that's showing up and just being there and you know that sense of community and safety yeah well I that was that was something interesting you know we did the um the Planned Parenthood protest um after Roe v. Wade was overturned and I felt I I was I'm glad I went. I felt incredibly anxious. Yeah. I just, I felt like I had a target on my back the whole time. And there were counter protesters who were really shitty and they suck. Um, I did not feel like that at Pride. I didn't feel like that at all. I felt very safe. I felt very comfortable. It was, it was a good feeling. And that's how everyone should feel all the time. You should be able to wear they, them pronoun buttons you should be able to wear your rainbow flag you should i loved all the people wearing capes yeah they were wearing the the flags as capes well not only the flags there were people who were wearing like actual capes like there was a red cape with like the white filigree around it i'm like because you're a goddamn queen yeah um no it was people in like really cool face paint yeah it was was awesome it was it was really neat to see everyone like be able to come out and be comfortable Mm -hmm. and just like be themselves yeah, I just, I felt very at peace, even though I was dealing with the crisis at the time. I felt very yeah. at peace. <laughs> it's a different story. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. We're going to keep the pride train going into Choo-choo. next week and forever. Forever. You know us. Forever and for always. Forever and for always. Uh, please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHPAD. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com where you can find our sweet ass merch. You can find a link to our Patreon where you can donate for as little as $1 a month. You can find a link to our Buy Me a Coffee which, or you can go there which is just buymeacoffee.com slash WAPOD or WAHPOD. Um, and please rate us five stars wherever you listen and give us all the warm, fuzzy feelings. Did you know that when you rate a women's history podcast five stars, it pisses off a Nazi? Like seriously pisses off Especially a Nazi. Especially this episode. Yeah. That's my goal in life. Piss off all the Nazis. If Nazis are mad at you, you're doing something right. Agreed. Or just existing because they're not very discriminatory yeah, in who they fucking true. hate. Yeah, no, seriously. Support Indie History Podcast piss off a Nazi. Love that. Love that journey for you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Her Street. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered and prideful day. Bye. Bye!